Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Making the Argument. We've got a special episode where we're going to do another interview, this time with the uh, legendary, the man, the myth, the legend, John Lovell. I am your host, Nick Freitas, and I want to thank you all once again for watching and just remind everybody that we have our live show Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then we do these interviews not only to be able to give us some more topics, to be able to discuss issues with our live audience, but to really be able to kind of do a deep dive into the lives and the work of people that are going out there and fighting for the things that they believe in, that are going forward and building intentional communities that are ensuring that they're conducting themselves, that they're living their lives in accordance with the principles that they advocate. And that certainly describes, in my opinion, John Lovell. Um, I met John at a place that you probably wouldn't expect. The first time I met John was actually at a Homesteaders convention, is a Homesteaders of American convention here in Virginia. And I, I want to tell you right now, we had there were some huge names there. Justin Rhodes, Joel Salatin, uh, Jess and Jeremiah from Roots and Refuge. I mean, uh, off-grade with Doug and Stacy. But I think, I could be wrong, but I think the most watched, uh, the best attended, a speaking event at that entire convention, which had thousands and thousands of people there, was John Lovell describing how to defend your homestead. And it was an awesome discussion because guess what? It wasn't, oh, go get an ADT security system, right? No, it was John Lovell explaining. And I'm sitting here having flashbacks from my military days. John Lovell explaining of how would you actually, no kidding, if you had to defend your home and your family. So with all of that, John, thank you so much for being on today. Thrilled to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, hey, listen, uh, I, I am pretty sure that most of my audience is, is well aware of John Lovell because when we mentioned within our community chat, well, first of all, before we even mentioned that we were going to have you on for an interview, we had a ton of people in our community chat going, you need to interview John Lovell. You guys would get along great. So could, but for those, for the, for the two or three people that, that watch our show that, that uh, don't know John Lovell yet, don't know Warrior Poet Society, can you tell us a little bit about your background, family, military, and then I really want to do a deep dive into Warrior Poet Society. Sure. So I've hopped around and done a lot in my life so far. I uh, was a military guy, uh, served uh, a handful of tours with the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, an early GWAT, uh, got out, uh, went to uh, get a degree in business. I've done some business stuff. I was a foreign Christian missionary uh, abroad for years. And I've been doing tactical training stuff, and then I made the Warrior Poet Society and wrote a book, and then I came here and talked to you today. So that uh, that brings us up to the present. That sums it up. How many kids? Two. Two, Two kiddos, kids. a nine-year-old boy and eleven-year-old boy. Oh gosh! All right. So right at the age where they can really start doing some damage. That's. Uh... <laughs> It's fun, fun years. I was reading to my boys last night. Uh, this is such a funny, stupid little story, but I was reading books to my boys last night. We do family reading time, and we're going through all these epic saga books, but this is a, a fictitious one, and I, I'm reading through this book, and my boys are in it, and my boys will come and lay on me and like start snuggling, and their hands start creeping up to get in like prime tickle position and they'll try to tickle me all of a sudden with this big attack and I'm like oh you'll pay for that and I put down the book and I started tickling my oldest one who's 11 uh, and he was just in the throes of hysteria you know he was losing his mind and throughout it I, it was so weird he shouted out the word um, he said Baggins Shire <laughs> Like he was being Gollum <laughs> tortured for information. And I uh, just deep belly laugh. That was a good memory. That happened last night. And so I'm just thinking about it. And uh, I don't know why I thought of that and why I'm taking up your airtime for it. But no, that's great. It's the good stuff right there, man. No, no, that's what it's about. Well, yeah, like, I mean, you you did, I mean, again, several tours with 75th Ranger Regiment. And, you know, any, anybody who knows, and obviously, you know, I, I was in the military too for, uh, 11 years on active duty and, and Ranger Regiment really is, I think, like one of the premier light infantry, you know, specialized special operations units in the world, not just in the United States. Um, and, and, you know, you went from there, you went into the mission field. Can you uh, can you tell us some of the countries you went to in the mission field? Sure. So Nicaragua, Panama, uh, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic. Those were the main ones. Wow. Now, where did you where did you meet your wife along the way? 
I met her right after I left the military. I went to college to uh, finish a degree, and I met her there. So, so love at first sight, or uh, did you guys date no, a while? Not at all. And I was on the prowl. You know, I'd had enough <laughs> near-death experiences that I'm like, I'm ready to settle down with a cute little Southern belle. And uh, yeah, that'll be fantastic. And so I was on the prowl. I was looking for a wife, and I knew enough uh, in my mid or, or yeah, mid twenties, what I didn't want. And so I was able to eliminate gals pretty darn quickly and her, I dismissed her right away. I, she looked, she, I mean, very easy on the eyes dating someone else who was a buddy of mine. And she just looked like a, a bit of a diva, like a, a beauty queen. She was quite literally, you know, uh, the beauty pageant winner for the university I attended. So I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm not touching that. I've seen the hot crazy matrix. No, sir. And so I cut that off. So you, then, you saw her level of hot and assumed the crazy had to be high, bro. Th this woman d d break contact, man, break contact. And so, uh, it was about a year later when we really, uh, there were some clues and some conversations we had. And I'm like, oh, wow, this girl is something else. And I fell hard in love in a very short amount of time. You know, I, I knew I, I I was in love with her in a way that I'd never been in, within a month. Um, within five months, I asked her to marry me, and our engagement was two months long. Yeah. So uh, we, we got married pretty darn quick. It was hot and heavy, man. So. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Sam, how long have you been married now? We are in our 17th year. Oh, that's outstanding. What about you and your bride? I actually met Tina my freshman year of high school. I, uh, I wow. could tell you uh, what chair I was sitting in and what class I was in um, the day she walked through the door. And I remember thinking to myself, and this is before we had a hot, crazy metrics to deal with, right? Mm. So I, exactly. I'm like operating in the blind here. All I knew was too hot for me. <laughs> like I knew, yeah. I knew that was, I, I, I knew enough to know that that was probably the case. And we didn't actually start dating until our senior year. Um, and it was right before I, I enlisted and, and went into the military. And I remember thinking my senior year, I, I was, it was this whole idea of there's no way, there's no way this girl could be that into me. Like there, there's gotta mm -hmm. be a catch. There's gotta be some sort of, of cosmic trick that is being played right here. And I was determined to, to play it cool because I did not play it cool in high school. Like I, I was, I was the kid watching like civil war documentaries and, and, you know, I wanted to go, I wanted to go to West point at that, uh, at that time. Yeah. And so I, I was kind of, I mean, I played sports and things like that, but, uh, kind of a, kind of an old soul, um, in, in yeah. some respects. And so I, I was, just, there's just no way, there's just no way that the, that the hot, pretty girl likes me. Um, but kind of to your point about like different things that kind of key you in. Um, one of the things that really just impressed me about Tina from the get go was uh, this idea of she would stand up for the things that she believed in and mm -hmm. she really didn't care what the, the popular cast uh, thought about it. Um, mm -hmm. She would stick up for people that no one would stick up for. And um, that was really impressed. That really spoke to me about her character and then uh, went off to basic uh, got done with infantry basic training in, in beautiful Sand Hill, you know, Fort Benning, Georgia. And, um, yeah, we got married, gosh, about five months after, uh, I got to the 82nd and, and yeah, it was, wow. a, we, we got engaged and she had two months to plan the wedding. Uh, I had nothing to do with planning the wedding. My job was to show up in uniform and say, I do and mission accomplished. So, and that was 24 years ago. So yeah, over, that is awesome. But, awesome. Bravo guys. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. So, you know, to, to that point, like anybody that has watched your content, um, you know, read your book, I'm reading your book right now and you put a great deal of emphasis. You, you take, you take the experiences that you've had from doing what you're, what you're talking about. And, and the, the way I would describe it, you know, please, you know, put your own description, but it, it's, there is, I think, kind of a crisis of masculinity going on right now uh, in the country at whole. This whole idea where you've got a lot of um, not just young men, but I would argue that's in many respects kind of where the, the crisis point is taking place. You got young men kind of wondering what, what does it actually mean to be a man? And they almost seem kind of lost. They're in the wilderness right now. And you talk a lot about, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, the, the kind of the antidote to that. Um, right. So t tell us, what, what was it that cued you in 
to saying that out of, out of all the things, I mean, again, you, you were in the military, a lot of veterans, right? You know, books about being in Afghanistan or being in Iraq. You were in the mission field, could have wrote about that, right? And it's not that you don't incorporate key points, but what made you write about this specifically and, and, and the whole concept behind Warrior Poet Society? What was, what was the moment where you thought, man, this is needed? It's really just an outgrowth of my own personal journey. And that's all Warrior Poet Society has really ever been. I'm on this warrior poet kind of journey, and I recognize these two archetypes as absolutely critical. I think a man is meant to be fully a warrior and all the wonderful attributes that come from a warrior, and that's perseverance and grit and courage and strength and boldness. A dude is supposed to be all of that, to be able to hunt, protect, provide that kind of stuff. You bring the warrior into your workplace to Sun Tzu that action and do really, really well, earn. And so those are all warrior aspects that you absolutely need. However, there's also in this archetype of poet, a whole bunch of other attributes that if you don't encapsulate and embody as a man, you're going to be an utter failure. You're going to tough guy yourself into an absolutely ruined and wasted life. And you'll never even know why. It's because you're an idiot. You didn't understand that the most important stuff, it isn't just fighting for freedom. It's actually enjoying it. Mm. It's actually uh, devoting yourself to a cause bigger than yourself. It's being carried away by beauty and awe. It's by uh, it, tapping into romance and deep relationships and uh, all the aspects of a poet. Uh, seeking beauty and truth and meaning and significance, all those other stuff where, where we're so busy beating our chest, uh, doing the whole warrior thing, we escape the, the fact of the poet stuff that holds the most important aspects of your life together are utterly missed. I sometimes explain this to dudes by making a run for the Second Amendment. A lot of our guys listening in will absolutely be like, yeah, Second Amendment. And I'll say, what's what's more important, do you think, the First or the Second Amendment? And it'd be easy for us to point out that the founders put it second for a reason. Now, it's true that none of the other amendments stay if you lose the Second Amendment. That's the right to keep and bear arms. It's the sentinel. It's the guarantee that we keep our other freedoms because ultimately, all laws are enforced with violence. And if you give government monopoly on violence, well, you lose all of your freedoms. And so you could say the Second Amendment's the most important because it is the safeguarding of it. I'm like, no, no, remember the founders put the first one, the right of, um, or the freedom of speech and religion and assembly and due process and freedom of the press, all that stuff. And really when you think about these things, that's all the stuff that matters the most. Those are the, that's where meaning uh, dwells. That's where morality dwells. That's the most important stuff is in those freedoms. It's not the protection of the freedoms. It is the actual freedoms themselves. And so the Second Amendment is a means to an end. It's not an end in of itself. And in the same way, the poetic aspects are where all the real biggest stuff that matters the most in life dwell. And so... I was cognizant of this and I have been for a very long time. My dilemma is, is though before I really even had the language for warrior and poet and these archetypes that I've engineered and, and, and really speak in terms of before I really even had put that together, I knew it intrinsically. Mm. It had been revealed to me. I, I knew I needed to grow in those poet pieces, which didn't come natural to me. And I was really far more, I was far more lion than lamb. And so everything that I'm doing is kind of calling men up into that, of be fully a lover and fully a fighter, warrior and poet, lion and lamb, be both, uh, or you are deficient as a man. That was, that was one of the themes that really struck me in the book was the idea that this is not an either or proposition. And part of the problem is, is that we do have people that sometimes look at it in either or proper, uh, proposition and, and it ends up creating deficiency. Right. And um, and it is it is amazing to me that like I know right now when we talk about masculinity uh, and the crisis of masculinity, a lot of it is focused on those warrior attributes. 
Um, yeah. we, we feel like there has been, or I feel like there has been in many cases, kind of like the over feminization. And one of the things that I think is so important about what you talk about is that to be the poet does not mean to feminize men. It, it no. means to, to take other attributes, which are also masculine, but applied in such a way, the, the way my wife, uh, the way my wife described it once. And she goes, Nick, it's not that I'm looking for you to be vulnerable, right? But I'm looking, it's the idea of you being tender toward yeah. your wife, toward your children and, and things like that. And, and how, um, that aspect and that at those attributes when they're, when they're properly, you know, learned, developed, and then implemented, um, does round out like what, what the picture of masculinity is, is supposed to be. Um, yep. and I, and I would argue that's true within a, a biblical framework. I think it, it plays out practically in real life. So let me ask you this. Um, the warrior stuff is, is pretty easy. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, from a, from a fairly young age, you, you gravitated toward those aspects, you served in the military and, and again, you, you didn't just serve in the military as to say, you know, you did three years during peacetime, you know, you racked up quite a few combat tours in a relatively short period of time with one of the most elite you know, units in the military. And, and so it, it's coming face to face with danger, with violence, re responding to and it, working with uh, other people within a team. So I'm not, I'm not really curious on, on where you got the warrior part down, right? Like there's, there's a lot of things leading uh, up to that during that. And I'm sure after that, that you could point to as things that you, you harnessed and developed and, and whatnot, but on the, on the poet side, where, where did you find inspiration to specifically develop kind of that um, more of that respect or more of that appreciation for the aesthetic, the beauty, the, the written word, um, the ability to communicate effectively and, and in, in a, in a romantic fashion, like a genuine, not this, you know, Lord Byron um, kind of cheap, uh, you know, but, but like in a, in a genuine romantic fashion, like what, where did you kind of seek out inspiration and education in that realm of your life? I'm glad you just kind of did a pop shot at the old romantic poets. Cause I'm like, <laughs> man, the romantic era, that, that poetry sucked. You know, but I really <laughs> like a very narrow uh, amount of poetry of like, never send me poetry guys. I almost like no one's poetry. <laughs> Uh, I like some of my own. I like some of the greats out there. I like some eclectic, weird stuff that nobody's heard of. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, I think there's been a lot of different stuff. If everyone, every guy can have fingerprints of this. You know, you, you you see some something beautiful that just takes your breath away. Whether it's like crisp morning in the mountains, you know, and it's just you know a cool air and walking through, and you're like, holy cow, there's something more to all this, you know, or it's when your blood turns on fire because you see people uh, being lied to and that justice element kind of creeps up and you're able to argue and espouse truth or, or whenever you look into your bride's eyes and you just kind of melt and I'm like this girl, oh, you know, you feel those romantic fires and you there's, there's everywhere you look, you can find what the poet uh, really majors on. You understand that there's so much more to life of meaning and truth, justice, purpose, uh, value, uh, uh, you know, morality, doing the right thing. and the wrong, all, all that stuff is where the poet really camps out and lives. And um, I, I found the pursuit to be a lot more interesting than shaving off a few splits on my draw stroke and, uh, you know, uh, making steel sing at a range. I was just shooting yesterday. It was pretty darn fun. So I, I, it, it's even fresh, as I say, these elements, the poetic elements, are, there are the most important. It's where you're going to find meaning and value and where you're going to really be able to uh, help your fellow man. I would say for me, though, I didn't really care too much about, though I had these glimpses that I'm just rattling off. And I think everyone listening in, they'll be able to identify and be like, ah, I know what he's talking about. Yep, absolutely. For me, I had a very weird encounter in uh, 2001. It was around May 20th, May 22nd time period, somewhere around there. I had this weird, I say weird, it, it was a pretty violent conversion to Christianity. Uh, I wasn't like it a it just, I felt like God spoke to me and he converted me and all of a sudden things I didn't care about 
changed in a day and all of a sudden I did care about them. Uh, I, I developed a love for learning and reading and also a passion for teaching that I didn't have a few days before. And that uh, was like a light switch going on, uh, just super bright. And uh, I, that never went away my passion for learning. And so I'd be able to inhale, I'd, I'd be able to go nose down and have eight hour study days on my own reading books. And I'd get so into it, I'd forget to eat lunch. Mm. You know, and that, that was a common thing. Becca would come in and be like, did you, what'd you eat for lunch today? I'm like, she's like, John, did you forget <laughs> to eat? And I'm like, I did. I read books all day long. So some peculiar things happened to me. And also kind of the, the romantic in me, the one who had a heart of faith, uh, that really just burst into being from nothing, ex nihilo. It was not there, and then it was. And so that, that was a pretty remarkable conversion. Now, people listening in, you may not like that. All I can do is, I don't have an angle here. I'm just saying, hey, you asked the question, yeah. and this is, this is my account. This is just my history. So uh, for me, it was an odd, odd um, Genesis. Now that that's, I appreciate that too. We, we have, we have a lot of, when we do a live show, there's a lot of things that get said and off the cuff. And one of the things I, I we tell people a lot is like, look, you don't got to like what I'm saying. I'm telling you what I think is true, or I'm telling yeah. you what actually happened. And it is what it is at that point. You make your own decision with what you want to do. So I, I appreciate the fact of, of having a moment where there, there's a moment of clarity. There's a moment of, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, divine intervention of that divine spark where all of a sudden um, you, you feel a purpose in a meeting or maybe even an affinity for something and you're driven, you're driven toward it. Um, sure. What would you say? Um, let, let's talk a, a little bit about, you know, work, work in the mission field and whatnot. Um, what, what drove you or, or, you know, what drove your, what opportunities presented themselves um that said that, Hey, not only am I going to, there's a lot of people within the church and whatnot that will sometimes go on a missions trip. And, and sometimes it's you know, for, for a variety of reasons. Right. And, and I think the missions right. field is, is a wonderful thing, but you obviously went several times. You, you, you were going back and you were kind of going back to similar locations and whatnot. What, what was, what was a driving factor behind that? Uh, mine, I, I wasn't visiting. I was living. Mm. Uh, I lived overseas as a full-time missionary for four years. Yeah. And so uh, there, there was one year where I only spent like 11 days in the States. So, I mean, like I wasn't, I wasn't running back and forth. I lived over, that was my address. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think the whole idea of foreign Christian missions, uh, has a, a weird American mass consumerism to it, especially in the short run where you run up an incredible travel bill and you go overseas and then you, maybe you, you paint the same you know, building that just got painted a couple months ago. It's like busy work and you don't know the language or anything. And you send out support letters. So everyone's kind of fun in your vacation. Uh, and, and you, you, you hope it's helping some, but I noticed in short term work, it was really, really hard to make any lasting value. And it actually could hurt the community. There's a great book called when helping hurts. Yeah. And it's amazing how often our, desire to help folks and do a good thing can actually really hurt. There is a good way to do short-term missions, and, but usually that's you find a church or ministry that is in the culture in a long-term area, and then you just show up and be like, hey, what can we do? Would you rather just send us uh, send some money? You guys need money or you need boots on the ground or you want us to run medical missions? What do you need us to do? You want us to build some stuff? Have we yeah. got some skills? And then you let them tell what would it would be like to, to be able to be a benefit from them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it could be as simple as like you show up and you just babysit the full-time missionaries kids so they can go out on a date night. I'm like, that's yeah. good ministry, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, anyway, we really did want to help. And, um, I, it was a unique mission experience. I lived with 30 college age students and I was their full-time Bible teacher. That's where I learned to teach. Mm. Uh, I would later drag that into the firearms world in a lot of the 
a, a lot of what I learned on how to teach and communicate really well and capture attention and convey complex points by breaking them into simple set. A lot of that I learned from day in, day out, hours every day teaching on the mission field. And I, I, it drove me to study too. So I learned all the big words, the ecclesiology, eschatology, soteriology, <laughs> missiology, all the ologies. I studied it, church history and Christian worldview apologetics, hermeneutics, homiletics. And yeah. so uh, I learned uh, I learned all the fun stuff. And uh, I was able to, for years, I just became a, a, a nerd. Uh, like you, you mentioned the Civil War, and you know I would be totally regaled with Civil War uh, trivia from the great Shelby Foote. Uh, oh, yeah. So, Wow. Yeah, yeah, you, you broke out. Hey, yeah, I was, oh. like, I was like, the introductory people might drop like a Bruce Canton, but if you're saying Shelby Foot, it's like okay, all right, <laughs> Shelby Foot, bro. Yeah. I can't. I came to play. I yeah. came to play. So uh, <laughs> it, anyway, that was kind of our mission uh, field experience. We planted a church overseas, and um, yeah, it, it it was a great time. Uh, spend every dime we had wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting you say that about, uh, too, about the mission field. I, I, I do think that, I think, I think missions are great. And like you said, I think there's a, a great place for short-term um, missionary work. But yeah, sometimes I want, I, I've seen some of the stuff that churches have especially done economically where yeah. like, all right, we're, we're going to send a bunch of, you know, this over, you know, whatever, whatever the, this is, whatever the commodity is. And it's like, all right, well, uh, that might've helped. That might've helped. Of course, you might've also just flooded the market with a bunch of cheap products that completely ran out the local, you know, people right. that were actually doing that. Or, yeah. you know, do we build any, uh, what we would have called in the military host nation capacity here? Or, mm -hmm. uh, do, do we kind of make ourselves feel better about doing something without really understanding the operational environment and, and the need and, and, you know, Hey, how's, how's the Holy spirit working in this area and how do we come alongside that? Um, I, I, I heard somebody put it once, uh, they said, you know, you, you, you don't, um, you, you don't tell God what you want to do and ask him to join you. You ask what God's doing and then you join him. <laughs> yeah, and that's good. So that's interesting. I, I, so, so you lived down there for, you know, a, a good period. Of, like how, how long overall did you say were you like four actually years. four years in the mission field? So four years in the mission field, you, you come back to the States and is, is that where you kind of go into, um, you know, the, the training with respect to shooting, with respect to defense. That's right. Okay. Kind of dusted off an old hat, put it back on, and I needed to make a living. We we spent everything we had, and we actually fell pretty, uh, pretty bad into debt, which sucked as well. And we we're just trying to make ends meet. And I, I remember uh, getting a job and thinking, all right, this will be enough. And it totally wasn't enough. Uh, prices had gone up. We had rented a house when we came back to the States thought it'd be good. We had kids at this time. They were born while we were abroad. Mm. And we had the desire to homeschool as well. We, we had come along the conviction that we didn't want to send them off to the government to educate. We wanted to do it. And so, uh, yeah, we started doing that and very quickly ran up quite a tab of credit card debt, which is not, I have a finance degree of like, I knew better than that. Just, hey, the income great, greatly was less than the output. And I mean, there's only so much you can cut. And so we ended up moving out of that house and got this tiny little apartment so we could afford uh, to homeschool uh, and stay single income, which is very difficult these days, it turned out. So we moved into a little apartment and I drove a vehicle that's 25 years old or so. And, you know, my wife had an old, uh, older vehicle as well. And we just tried to earn our way up. But yeah, I went back into the old expertise I needed to earn. People, I think sometimes have a bad habit of looking at, if you go on a YouTube right now and you look at Warrior Poets Society and you're looking at, you know, what, 1.4 million subscribers and whatnot. And you've got other projects that you're doing kind of underneath that and the training and whatnot. And it's so easy for people to look at the success after the fact and be like, oh, well, you're so privileged. <laughs> it's like, Okay, maybe, maybe yeah. in some way, maybe blessed in some areas, but yeah. again, you you were you were coming back out of the mission. You and your wife with kids are coming back out of the mission field. You don't have any money. You're living in a little apartment, and you're trying to, and and when you're in that when you're in that spot, because um, man, I I definitely remember being a young married E two, um, and mm -hmm. for a while there the the single income and it, it's tough, right? Like it it is going to the grocery store. 
and and running your card through and praying that somehow magically God made your accounts, you know, balance so you can get the groceries. And when you're in that moment and you're trying to you're making additional sacrifices to try to homeschool and things like that, it can be really hard to see a way out of it especially if you're working really hard just to pay the bills. And now you've got to do something on top of that. There are so many people right now, especially young men that I talk to that, that feel like this is all just, it, it's impossible. Like it, 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 like, how do you do it? So you were there, you were there, yeah. wife, kids, small apartment. I also know what it is to, to, you know, have that, that, um, that feeling of almost like, like I've, I've had moments in life where I had a feeling of like guilt. Like, am I really providing the sort of life for my family that I should be that, you know, because it, it, you're struggling. How do yeah. you, how did you guys go from a, a point where you, you were in a financial situation you didn't want to be in there had things, there was things you wanted to be able to provide for your kids. You're already working really hard to try to make that happen. And now you're going to do something extra. Like, what was that like? Yeah, and so I didn't have this great illustrious plan to do Warrior Poet Society anything. I was working a beat for a, a different tactical training company, and so I'd been doing that for a few years, and I was good at it. Uh, I was losing my librarian body that I'd cultivated carefully amongst a lot of uh, old dusty theological books on the mission field. So I was starting to work out again and build up some speed and sharpen up some old skills and uh, getting back in the rung of it. But what I found is I was a very, very good communicator at that time. And I was able to add a, a pretty deep knowledge of tactical principles and I had some experience under my belt. And so I was able to get better and better at that. But it wasn't until I started really documenting my journey uh, online. I, I was a, a, a born communicator and teacher and I want to be in relationship with folks. And um, I don't need to be a billionaire and have my name written across the sky. I, I, I want some, um, I, I want to communicate for life change. I would like to know that I'm providing value for other folks. And that makes me feel like a million bucks. I really like that. Uh, and so I'm content with less, but I, I did want that. And I found myself in a windowless building kind of cut off from people. And so it was, uh, when I started making videos and putting them out online, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm believing. This is where I'm at. It, it struck a chord, mm -hmm. and the Lord blessed it. And it really just took off and exploded. And it turned out there was a lot of guys that thought a lot like me. Uh, and whereas at the time, it seemed you were either, you know, kind of like a Hugh Grant, blue-eyed, pretty boy, you know, you're a lover, mm -hmm. or you're a fighter, you know, just filled with this bravado, like mechanized thousand yard stare killer. There's no room for sissy stuff. Yeah. And I just looked at both of these wide pendulum, you know, paradigms, and I just called horse crap on both. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I could be both though, you know, shouldn't it be both? Isn't anyone else doing it? If it's like the tactical community. I'm like, these guys all are walking around like they're the baddest things that bull crap, man, whatever. Yeah. You tough guy, you know, if like, uh, Hopefully you, you've got another side to you. Hopefully you're able to play with your children and be a goof and, you know, you're sweet uh, with your wife and things are going. But I wanted to be able to honestly document my journey. And I called it the Warrior Poet Society, the Warrior Poet Way and invited people along. And so, uh, yeah, that, that brought up traction. It was very scary for months and months uh, early on. I just was grinding because it's really kind of burned the ships and I jumped in this thing. Uh, and I really would even say I felt forced into it. I, I, I felt forced, rushed into it. And so um, anyway, but... Uh, well, were you working as you were also developing that? Or was it just like, nope, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to do this. No, I, I was working doing this uh, other thing. And uh, um, in, anyway... Uh, um, I'd, I'd say my employer was going in one direction. I was going in another mm -hmm. and eventually I, I, I was not able to stay there anymore, sure. though. I really did want to, I didn't have this plan to branch off, but th you know, of like, we were just going different ways. You know, they wanted to go uh, more of like the military contracts, law enforcement kind of route. They wanted to do that thing. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to go toward the civilian. Mm -hmm. I've been out of the military a while. I'm, I'm not. I'm not fresh anymore. I'm a civilian more and more. I want to I speak to the civilians, and I want to use social media to do it. Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, they were going the complete opposite direction. And so I tried to skate that line for a little while, it just didn't work. And so I felt kind of pushed out the door to this other. And then I'm looking at him like, well, here it is, Warrior Poet Society. And then I went for it. Uh, and it was scary. It, it was pretty scary. But I, I grinded out did a whole bunch of teaching and instructing and just picked up all the gigs that I could. And, and I just tried to look through the camera. And instead of trying to make a video, I wanted to actually imagine there's people that are struggling with the same stuff. I'm mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a real world, world uh, a real word. I'm gonna communicate something that matters to them. I'm gonna help them. I'm gonna teach them something that I know. Uh, and it struck a chord and it took off. No, that's great. I, I'll tell you one of the things I appreciate about that with the the idea of speaking out to kind of the civilian world. Um, you know, my my son is at an age right now where he's going. I mean, he's looking to go into the military. And, um, you know, at, at first, um, you know, I think when it, he was younger and that was that date was um, years in the future, not a year in the future. You know, my, my wife and all was a little bit more like, oh, OK, yeah, sure. You can be like daddy and whatnot. And then, you know, he, he starts developing interests and ideas and concepts of what he wants to do professionally and, and how he wants to develop. And then um, and so she's thinking, OK, yeah, he's probably going to look at the military through the lens of developing some of those technical skills that he wants. And then, um, you know, the question gets asked, what do you want to do in the military? He goes, infantry. <laughs> she was not expecting that. Um, no. She was how not expecting he? that. He's 17. Okay. So this wow. is this and is a next year. Yeah, he's going to turn eighteen in September. This is a next year proposition, right? Because uh, he's going to finish yeah. high school this year, and then, um, and then yeah, go in. And uh, I think she was like, "Well, wait, 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 no, why infantry?" And yeah. and I think part of it's because you know I I started off infantry and then and then went the, yeah. the SF route and whatnot. But it it was this idea of, um. You know, I think sometimes we, uh, sometimes as dads, we look back and like, oh yeah, I, I did say some of these things. <laughs> and it's, yeah. um, if he's going to go into the military and he's going to serve, then he wants to go into, uh, the military occupational skill that's going to teach him, you know, combat. I mean, let's face it. The infantry is the basic fighting unit of any military in the world ever. Right. Um, it, it's the ultimate um, symbol of, of kind of organic combat power right there. That's, that's what it yeah. is. And it's like rawest form. Um, you know, there's, there's, I forget, like over 200 different military occupational skills in infantry one is close with and kill the enemy. <laughs> and, <That's> and, right. um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, we're going through that. And I was thinking to myself, because I'm, I'm concerned with a lot of things that have been going on in our country culturally. Right. Um, there's a lot of institutions within our country that I used to kind of take on face value that you know, every, there's no such thing as a perfect institution, right? If you want, perf if you want perfection, look to God, not to man. But right. th there are institutions which can, can uh, help a, a man develop into what I believe is, you know, a, a good proper man, a person that's going to provide, protect, defend the innocent and, and be righteous and, and look uh, to preserve justice. And, and I always saw the military as one of those things could absolutely uh, affect, um, you know, develop and train those, those aspects of, of masculinity. Right. And I still believe that's true. I've become a lot more concerned with how temporary occupants of political office decide to utilize, uh, that instrument, um, and, and what it, what it was made for versus what it's becoming has been very, very concerning. And, and my primary concern is, is with the individuals that still want to go in and serve and put on the uniform. Um, and they're doing it with that intention. And all of a sudden it, it's, we have politicians that want to use it as a mechanism for social engineering and, and, um, and get us involved in places where I would argue the United States has, has no business being involved. Or if you're going to do it, at least have Congress at least display enough courage to actually vote for it instead of just kind of letting the executive branch do whatever. Right. But I, I say all of that. I say all of that um, to go back to this idea that I almost grew up with this mentality that, well, I, I, I have to serve in the military. Um, now, I wanted to. But I have to serve in the military because it's it's a it's an element of testing I have to go through. It's an element of training I have to go through. Um, going to combat, I can remember feeling like I, I need to be tested. I need to be tested. I need to know that yeah. when that moment of testing comes, I'm going to do what is expected of me. Right. And that was a huge drive for me. And 
more and more, I think it's becoming necessary for us to once again recognize that you you don't have to look to certain uh, worldly institutions as the only place to get that. That's great. Yeah. You you have to. Um, that there are other ways to foster and develop these skill sets. Not not putting anything against going into the military or law enforcement or first responders. I think that's that's great. I think it's wonderful. I, I absolutely right. We we both chose to do that. Right. But it's not the only way. It's not the only way to develop the sort of the skill sets that you need to be the warrior. Uh, right. But there needs to be people that can actually show people the way. How do you do it? Um, how, how do you how do you speak into that desire to develop those skill sets in a very very practical way? Right, not just go to the range and plink around and shoot, or or even go to like a special range. Or, oh, I got to shoot a belt fed you know machine gun. Aren't I cool? Like, well, no, that's a cool experience. It doesn't make you cool because you did that. What what makes yeah. what what makes it cool or a capability is when that you understand both the purpose for why these tactics, why this equipment exists, and how to effectively implement it for the good. And the fact that you chose that path in a world where we don't have a lot of outlets that are actually demonstrating that I think is important. Um, So you're, you're, you're going through this, you're, you're kind of cataloging the journey that you're going on. um, And you're you're still, you know, you're, you're showing people how, how to, how to utilize these skill sets, how to utilize certain equipment and how to learn certain tools to achieve certain, you know, noble end states and whatnot. Um, what do you, as you're developing, because again, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in this, this developing of the, of the poet side as well, because I see a backlash coming. I get yeah. really concerned when I see, when I see how much, um, there, there's been this attempt to, to make attributes of masculinity, which are perfectly natural, right? The, 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 uh, aggression, competitiveness, the desire to, you know, uh, you know, physically compete, uh, to mentally compete. These have all been turned into, well, th- these are attributes of toxic masculinity. It's like, no, th- these are attributes of masculinity, which can be used for good or they can be used for ill and they have to be developed right. in such a way. And so th- there's, there's been a lot of this pushback, which I think is necessary on developing those sort of, you know, raw masculine physical traits designed around, Hey, get, get yourself in shape, right? Like, you know, lose the, lose the, you know, lose the excess weight, go get in shape, um, learn how to fight, learn how to shoot, learn how to do the things that are necessary on a basic level to be able to protect yourself, your family, and the things you love. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a possible overcorrection there if we're not balancing it with the other, you know, intellectual, spiritual, emotional components, which are every bit as masculine but I fear in some in some levels are falling out of favor because they can be too easily associated with some of this other stuff that the, the feminization of men. How do you draw that? How do you draw that balance where it's like, no, 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 we're we're gonna we're gonna build the warrior, we're gonna develop the warrior. You have to. Right? That's the other thing. This is not an either or proposition, right? It's not like, well, I'm more of the right. warrior type and I'm more of the lover type. No, you got to be both. You're you were created to be both. So you're developing that warrior type. No joke. How do you balance it on the other side with the poet? Fantastic question. So I do think an overcorrection is coming. I think a lot of boys have never gotten a rite of passage, an introduction into masculinity. And so we get older and grow facial hair. We look like men, but we don't feel like men. We feel like somebody should have dubbed us, you are now a man. And I felt it in my soul that, yeah, I am. Uh, And I am worthy and I am strong and I am a man. Nobody did that. Uh, Part of it's why we were shipped off to government schools. And then it was just college, which was really extending adolescence into this debauched, time-wasting facade where we were getting educated. Where was the big rite of passage? Where did I do something hard, climb a mountain and, and, uh, you know, uh, do something worthy of my strength, something that initiated me? And I think cultures over all human history have had different rites of passage and initiation for men. And frankly, we don't have that now. And worse still, uh, we are so, we're, our culture is waging such a war against masculinity. Not only do we not notice there's no initiation to masculinity, there's a complete undercutting of what masculinity is. We're encouraged to be sensitive and sweet and 
uh, gender confused. <laughs> it's yeah. as bad as you could possibly think. And so you tell men that you sh they shouldn't be men anymore. And women, you really encourage them to be more masculine. Men, you encourage to be more feminine. And it ends up being this androgynous kind of postmodern deconstruction thing where you break down the genders because you really rage against any type of distinction, any type of truth, any type of category. And that's what postmodernism is. It's the destruction of all all truth. And so this is just how it hit masculinity and femininity. Now, men, uh, even if you tell them to be women long enough, guys, that doesn't sit well. And eventually we're going to break out and howl at the moon because that's what dudes do. We are, we, we've got, uh, you know, fire in our souls, you know, all of our favorite move art movie, it's Braveheart, unless you haven't seen Braveheart. And then you go watch the movie and you realize, oh, my favorite movie is Braveheart. And then it's like, yeah, that's because you're a dude. You know, you, you, you got a pair. So, yeah, it's Braveheart or something very, very closely associated to that kind of uh, theme. And so uh, I, I find that really, really alarming. And I think you're right. There is going to be a huge uh, swing. And already I'm seeing it with like the red pill crowd, mm -hmm. the Tate bros. They're giving up on marriage. They're devoting their lives to just playing the field and going through women, uh, you know, and as, as conquest only, not committing and living selfish, narcissistic lives that is all built on the vanities of huge bank accounts, Bugattis and whatever the Tate bros are going. And what they don't realize is, is I think you can have a good bit of fun doing that for a little while. When you're done, you will be shocked to look in the mirror and realize you hollowed out your own soul. You wasted your best years. You've poisoned yourself so that now you're not fit to be a good father or a good husband. Uh, and uh, you have done this Faustian exchange that you never really signed up for. You will die miserable and alone, and that type of lifestyle will wreck any type of real intimacy or integrity. You will destroy everything that matters most while you uh, pursue this playboy lifestyle that uh, it will, it, it'll destroy you. Uh, and so people don't realize that. And this is what happens when you let warriors, without any of the wisdom of the poets, uh, just go nuts. Rape, pillage, and plunder. There you go. Have Go nuts, warriors. Uh, and that is bad for the society, and that is uh, perniciously bad for the individual as well. Do you feel like we're—because we're, I've felt this for a while now. We, we actually did—it uh, was funny because we just did a podcast on postmodernism. We called it A Brief History of a Bad Idea. And, um, <laughs> and we great, talked great, about great. that. We, we talked about how that, you know, this, this, in this attempt to destroy meta narratives, it destroyed truth itself. Um, and then we did another one on the battle between, we called it the battle between, uh, uh, Tate and Peterson, mm, uh, with yeah. Jordan Peterson. And one of the things that we talked about in there was, it was funny. We didn't call it the warrior and the poet. We called it, I think it was like the soldier and the scholar. And, and it was this idea that the both were necessary, but they weren't being properly encapsulated. And, and it was this, um, cause I, I have a great deal of respect for Peterson. Yeah. And, um, and when it comes to, when, when it comes to, you know, Andrew Tate, Tristan Tate, you know, Justin Waller, a lot of these guys, there's a lot of things that they will say in, in a particular soundbite where I'll be like, I agree with that statement. Absolutely. But Me then too. I see, then I see the practical application and, and the, the emphasis and the focus and it's okay. Okay. What, to what end are you, are you doing these things? And that's the part where the, in, for me, the entire narrative breaks down. And I, and I think you, you described it well. It's the idea of, again, go pillage, go conquer, go in the name of what, in yeah. the name of what, because if it's just pleasure or it's just power, you are going to wake up one day and find you, you became a monster or a playboy, but the world is worse off because you were there. Yeah. And yep. And that is a enjoy, dangerous, enjoy, enjoy your money for you traded your soul for it. Yeah. Be, now money's good. I'm like, Hey, get money. And uh, yeah. I've got money. You've got money. That's great. It's not worth trading your soul for. No money is filled with all kinds of poverty that people don't realize. And so the idea is to get money and not have money. Have you, 
Well, no, I think that's an excellent way to put it. I also think, and, and this is the part where um, I, I think on, on some level, you would think on some level you might find it intimidating, but I actually find it exciting. And as I talk to guys like you, as I talk to guys like Victor Marks, as I talk to other guys that are, are, are doing different things, but there's some, some, there's some similar convictions about the world they see around them and their, and their role for pushing back against it. There, there is this kind of, uh, you know, the, 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 the feminine, the feminization of men, like there's, there's that branch of, of males, um, that cannot stand the idea of a man stepping up and, and, f- you know, filling in and developing their, there's those, you know, core responsibilities, duties and whatnot with respect to the warrior side. There's, there's the, the side of the warrior that kind of like that top G mentality where it's like, well, if you're not going around sleeping with a lot of women, that's because you're a low T male that just can't get it. And that's why you're doing it right. That also despise it. And and it's, it's like they will stop turning on each other just long enough to turn on anybody that is saying, no, you're to be the warrior, you're to be the poet, and you're to do That's it right. in a service for something great. And and to be honest, it, as much as you should look at that and be like, well, if everybody's shooting at you, aren't it, isn't that a problem? Like, no, it tells you you're doing the right thing in this particular case. Because um, I do think, I think God created us to, to serve a purpose. And some of that purpose is universal, you know, being the protector, being the provider, you know, defending that's universal among, I think all men have some obligation to do that. And then there's the, the individual task or mission that he's put us on. But you, what you will find with every, every man that I have met that is confident in who he is and what his job is and what his roles and responsibilities are to his wife, to his kids, uh, to his God, to his community, whatever it is, they are always focused on on a purpose or a meaning that is so much greater than just temporal wealth. And I have a feeling that what we're going to see is a lot of a, a lot of confused males who bought into one line that led them off in a direction that they found completely hollow uh, yeah. because because it forced them to repress those aspects of their masculinity. And you're going to have this other branch that followed into this hedonistic, a quest to dominate and conquest, but in the name of nothing but their own pleasure, they're also going to wake up and fight. And they're going to be looking like, okay, where, where was the truth at? Yeah. Where was the truth yeah. at? And, and yeah, please. Here, here's something that's sad. And um, I want to speak on this, but at the same point, the, the very thing that gives me this in as, as like an asset that I possess is the reason why I don't talk about it. But I would love to be able uh, to pull a lot of young people aside and regale them with the beauty of monogamy. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, so um, the Tate Bros and everybody following that one night stands and whatnot, you can get some enjoyment there. Uh, and great in the moment. Uh, not so great two weeks later, you know, or three years later, or 30 years later, you know, that, that, that's not quite as good. Um, but, uh, whereas you can do the one night stand thing. A lot of those guys who know that they never actually pursued one woman, uh, for year after year building in an intimate relationship knowing each other so well like we me and my wife have phds in each other we know we can communicate without speaking yeah and bro i I, all i can say is that is a bonfire you guys know nothing about with your stupid little one night stands have fun you're not having fun like i am you aren't 17 years in you aren't my marriage freaking rocks and you know nothing about you know your one night stand i yep have yep i know that but you don't know what i have and you won't pursuing that lifestyle and so i I do want this is the most i've ever done to really kind of champion monogamy but part of it is i'm like this isn't something that i would air you know like i'm i'm filled with modesty and i want to respect (laughs) my wife's privacy sure and um uh, anyway, but I, I'm doing it. I'm risking stumbling around a little bit awkwardly here in front of everyone because 
I want them to know that there is a glorious prize on the end of Happily Ever After, pursuing the wife of your youth daily, year after year, gaining her trust. It is a, an incredibly masculine thing to do, to pursue one woman faithfully forever. There is riches there that you young people cannot imagine. Uh, and so I'll have to leave it there. Uh, well, I, I love the way you described it. Um, I remember I got married at 19. And um, I remember sitting there with a, a, a sergeant. And I, and he had been married like two years. I think I had been married three at the point at that point or something like that. And um, we were we were talking about things. I'm like, well, not to get too personal. Because he asked me, like, how, long, how old do you get married? I said, 19. He goes, oh, so, you know, typical military comments about... You can imagine. Yeah. And, um, and I said, I'm proud of the fact that I've only been with my wife. I'm proud mm -hmm. of that fact. That's not an insult to me. And he looked at me and he goes, well, you know, studies have shown, I love it when people start something out with that studies yeah. have shown that's actually not a good thing. You guys should have actually experienced more than other people before. And I said, Oh, okay, cool. So when you're doing something really cool with your wife and she does something you really appreciate in that area, you think to yourself, dude, I'm going to have to write a thank you letter to whatever dude taught her that. That's what yeah. you think. Mm. And he looked mm. at me and he was not happy and he outranked me at that point. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he said, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty effed up. I said, well, don't say stupid things and I won't have to point out that they're stupid. Yeah. And the experts that he so aptly did not cite at all. He yeah. just said, they said, <laughs> how many points have been tried to argued by, uh, by relegating it to the nebulous. They, they. you know, they say, I'm like, whoa, whoa, pause. Who is they exactly? Yeah. You know, psych psychiatry today. I'm like, nope, I, I reject immediately. They think dudes can become girls. Yeah. So, nope, I'm not interested in what <laughs> they say. But no, the studies actually do show the opposite. You know, if you wait till you're married and you only experience that, the chances for having happily ever after staying married skyrockets. It is the more polyamorous that you are. Uh, that, uh, you know, the, the more people you've slept with is a wonderful predictor of divorce. If you've slept, if your body count, which I found out recently, body count isn't how many people you've killed, Nick. So if someone asked <laughs> know, me right? my body count and I totally, yeah, don't I know. totally yeah. went a different way with that. I'm like, okay, hold on. All right. Ambush, which tour? Yeah. Iraq. And then, so you, nope, yeah. that's a different thing. But let's say you have a sexual body count through the mm. roof. Your chances of staying married, faithful, and happy, uh, they go down every time you sleep with a new partner. So it, that should be incredibly alarming. There's another, there's an aspect of this too that you brought up that I think is really important that doesn't get mentioned because a lot of times within, within the Christian community, there's this idea that, no, you should do this because it's the morally correct thing to do. And I absolutely stand by it. I absolutely believe yeah. it's the, but why is it the morally correct thing to do? It's the morally yeah. correct thing to do in, in part because of all of the emotional and spiritual aspects that are caught up within that level of intimacy with another human being. But it's the other thing that you said. Um, and, and, and I love the fact that you used PhD. Cause I remember again, another buddy of mine giving me a bad time. And I said, dude, you've got a GED and like 30 women. I've got a PhD in one. Who do you really think knows what they're doing in that aspect of their life? Yeah. Because yeah. if you, if you're, if you're the sort of man that actually wants to, to, <laughs> if you're the sort of man that actually wants to be, you know, a, a, a good husband to your wife in all aspects of your marriage, Right. I'm, we're, we're all keeping this PG. Right. <laughs> but if, yeah. you, if you want to be that man, if you want to be a man that that she's just enthralled with, well, then you have to understand what is her key to intimacy. That's right. Because it's not necessarily the same for a man. Well, if, if you've if you've decided to learn that by going out to the club and then a, a different girl every night in order to brag about, dude, I'm sorry, you you never. In, in fact, not only have you not managed to unlock the, the secrets to intimacy with, with the woman that you truly love, respect, admire, and are passionate about, you are diminishing your possibility of ever being able to do that because of the baggage right. that you're bringing into that relationship. And when you recognize that, that one of the biggest thing that she picks up from that connection, from that aspect of your marriage, it is not just the, the, you know, physical, not just the dopamine hits, right? It, it's the idea of, of for a woman, that's an incredibly vulnerable position. 
And when you actually build that level of, of trust and communication and love and mutual respect, it's only after you've laid that groundwork. Do, right. do you get to go into the next level of, of what that intimacy can really represent? And to your point, if you're doing all this stuff over here, you are diminishing your ability of ever having this. What do you really want? You know, really, which, way, which direction are you going to go, young man? Do you yeah, want to go the right. direction of a bunch of just cheap dopamine hits over time? Because I, I right. get it. I get it. it. It's very, it's very appealing on some level, some superficial level but for if, a while. And then you'll yeah. die alone. And then you'll die ahead. alone. Yeah. And it, and it will never, and this is the point that they need to understand because they, they seem to think that guys like us are missing out. I'm like, brother, you, you I don't do not pity Tate. You, or I do not, I'm not jealous of Tate. No, I truly pity him. Yeah. It is a very sad plight and it's enraging that so many people follow after him. Yeah. I wouldn't trade what he has for what I have. No. Uh, he looks super unsuccessful and poor to me. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's the thing. It's like, I don't want that for him. I don't want that for anybody. I, I want people no. to understand that, again, if we want to put it in these you know masculine tones of this idea of conquest and whatnot, well, if you're able to if you're able to fulfill, I, I believe again, what is kind of that 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 biblical approach, this idea, which yeah. you say that and people automatically think, well, this is just a theology, or that's just your faith, or that's just your belief. All right, fine. If you don't want to believe it from a theological standpoint, why don't we look at it from a logical, historical um, standpoint? Why don't we look at it from a, from an empirical standpoint and recognize that no, we we understand these these certain attributes um, that women bring to the table within a relationship, and if you as a man are not focusing on how to you know foster and develop that kind of relationship in order to in order to lead the road down to that greater intimacy in in all aspects of your life dude you're the one missing out you you left one of the greatest you know uncharted areas of the map completely you know off the table because you were unwilling to actually display a certain level of of discipline Right, yeah. in order to create that. And, and I think it's, I think, and, and again, again, we kept, I think we kept everything very respectful toward our, our, our brides and whatnot, but we did, if men, if men with, with our experiences and our backgrounds and our things like that, which, because again, you instantly have, John, you instantly have credibility when you walk into the room with men on a masculine level, because of what you've done, what you've chosen to do with your life from the military, from going to the mission field, from going into difficult situations and honing those capabilities. And if they're not hearing it from men like you, that know that this is this is about you know accomplishing what was all what was all the manly stuff for? It was to yeah. protect the beauty, the beautiful, and the just and the noble, yeah. um, right. and to That's also great. and to not just protect it, but to be able to get it to experience it in in every aspect that God would have us be able to experience it. And I, I don't want to just you know again I, I I I preach a lot of discipline to young men, but yeah. The other end, it's because at the end of that discipline is, is a fulfillment and, and, and an appreciation for things that, that God's created for us that you just can't get anywhere else. That's right. So I'm, yeah. I'm thankful that you talk about it, John. I think it's an well, important thing. I think it is too. I'm glad to, uh, I'm, you know, I'm worried people listening in, maybe they settled a few years into a marriage, got kind of stale, stopped growing in intimacy. They're hearing us talk about hot fires and they're like, man, I am not enjoying hot fires. We're logging time, but it's not really going anywhere. Uh, I wanted to pause and stop. Uh, yeah, I wanted to stop and speak to that. It is very possible to be in a marriage and that marriage, though you're years tick by your marriage isn't growing and if it's not growing in intimacy you're actually losing intimacy then you end up in this sexless marriage that you end up being 20 years in you logged some time uh but uh you've really just become glorified roommates and you're like what in the world do i do about that or what if i'm trending in that direction how do i make sure that doesn't keep going that way because marriage is something that can set you free but you got to cultivate it and here's the trick of you got your bride by pursuing her a certain way. And then after getting her, you stopped pursuing her. And that's what happened. That's what went wrong. It's quite easy. You're supposed to pursue her like you did when you were dating. And you're like, well, I don't feel like it and I'm busy. Well, I'm like, well, do it anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do discipline. And it's amazing how she will reward you. 
And then you'll reward her for that. And then yeah. she'll reward you. Her job, so ladies, you have a job in this. Your job is to seduce your husband forever. That's what we want. We want you to seduce us with every tool in your arsenal. You know, and, and, and I don't just mean that. I don't mean that just sexually, but I also mean it sexually. Uh, and men, we're supposed to pursue them. She per, or she uh, invites us to pursue. She seduces us. She draws us and we go hunting and you go hunt every day. Every single week you should go on a date with your missus if things are bad. Uh, and Hey, once a, we're not able to do once a week right now, uh, I wish we did, but I'm about to go take her to Rome for two weeks, you know? So I'm like Rome, Italy and, uh, <laughs> or, um, yeah, Switzerland, Austria. Anyway, we're going to go on a big two week rip. It's going to be awesome. So, uh, very, very fun, but we fell a few date nights behind, but anyway, keep pursuing your bride and pursuing is in all the different areas, mm -hmm. every way that she needs to feel loved uh, and cherished, that's how you pursue her. Yeah. Um, and so if you, you're both doing that, uh, things go really well. And then you're not just logging time. Your relationship keeps getting deeper and stronger and really, really fun. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, listen, I, I, <laughs> I can't think of another question I would ask that would provide us a, a better, a better sum up than what you just did there. But I, I do want everyone real quick to understand where they can, where they can figure, find out more about what you're doing, Warrior Poet Society. Of course, I, I all think they should, they should go out and, and get uh, the Warrior Poet Way, the book that you just had come out. Thank you. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm in the middle of it right now and uh, really enjoying it. But, but real quick, give us, where, where can everyone find you? Sure. Go to warriorpoetsociety.com. Uh, if you go to our, our main website, that's basically, a, a you know, it goes out into all the different stuff. So warriorpoetsociety.com, you can buy our book. Uh, you can go check out our app and streaming service. You can check out shirts and you can go see social media and YouTube, whatever you want to see. WarriorPoetSociety.com is the, the place to do it. That's great. And, and by the way, I've, I, I've seen a lot more of your short form content coming out. It, it's great. Um, so again, just uh, well done. John, I want to, again, thank you. Uh, thank your family for the, the work that you've done, the work that you continue to do. Uh, I definitely look forward, hope to, uh, really hope to be able to work with you some more in the future, maybe have you come on the show again um, when you write your next book. So again, <laughs> and uh, are you going to be at the Homesteaders Conference this year? I am. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. I think there's a dinner like the night before. Okay, for yeah. Just some folks. Uh, so uh, anyway, maybe... We'll see there. Uh, Boudreaux, you know, the three Boudreaux, of us. Boudreaux, yeah, find, yeah, good deal. We need, yeah. To find, we need to find a corner together and hang out. And Absolutely. Although I, so. I got to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel just a little bit lame because you're, are you getting up there talking about defensive homesteads again and stuff like that? Um, no, I think I'm going to go a little bit um, more broad. So personal security concepts, home defense, and homestead. Last year, I thought I, I assumed my audience was all on board with what I'm saying. Yeah. And what I didn't know, because I'm new to the homestead movement of sure. like, we're off grid, we do all our own stuff, but as like joining in the movement, we didn't know that within the homestead community is a bunch of kind of more pacifistic hippie <laughs> granola folks. And so <laughs> I didn't really make the argument as much for yeah. this is why it is a good idea and it is a loving thing to do to increase some security measures. I just went full bore and said, all right, the marauders are coming. This is how you keep <laughs> the, land. And the barbarian I horde. Like a, <laughs> I went to old field manual, you know, uh, um, Hey, this is how you keep land, yeah. you know, here, you know, like here's reconnaissance of like, I went into all kinds of crazy stuff. And oh, so, I loved it. <laughs> I won't make that mistake again. This year, I will spend a few minutes gathering up my audience, yeah. especially the granola, more uh, pacifistic ones. So <laughs> well, we'll, we'll bring again, them I, along. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, you get to talk about that. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be talking about how they can actually work with the legislate with their legislators and whatnot in order to try to get food freedom uh, legislation through and and uh, you know things and and to also allow you to be able to protect yourself and and engage yeah. in commerce and all of those things. But yeah. It's, it, it's always amazed me now when and whenever I'm showing up to something and I'm there to provide political expertise, I'm like, man, I remember when I used to be cool. <laughs> anyways, John, once again, thank you very much for joining us. Everybody, please go out there, check out Warrior 
Poets Society. Check out the book, The Warrior Poet Way. I promise you, you're not going to regret it. It's a great book for, for you to read. Get that book for your son right? Go, go, go through that together. And I'm going to take my own advice on that as well. So once again, thank you very much for joining us on Making the Argument. And John, we hope to see you again real soon in the future. Thanks for having me, Nick.